Young ones, Harry Potter fans. <laughs> Young and old, Harry Potter fans. Okay, not going to spoil anything here. Not going to spoil anything. You read this in the first book. Uh, young Harry Potter is living on Privet Drive, and it's just the worst, most miserable life ever. He's living with the Dursleys, and they treat him like a slave. They're awful to him. Uh, and then one day, one day Harry, one, that's hard to say, one day Harry gets a letter in the mail. He gets all these letters that say, you are a wizard, and you're invited to the uh, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry to study magic. And Harry is like, what? I didn't know wizards was like a real thing. And uh, so Harry starts to learn about what's true about him. And Harry discovers that what's true about him is he is a great wizard. And he has already defeated he who must not be named. And he didn't even do anything. And, and, and now that's who he is. And the reality is now he's got to go learn more about who he is. And he's got to go to school. And he has to learn to become who he is. Because he doesn't know how to summon Patronuses. Like, he doesn't know how to do potions. He's got to go study potions with Snape and Slytherins, and there's going to be all this lively fights between all these houses. But that's what he's got to do to learn to become who he is. And so learning to become who Harry is is awkward, and it's foreign, and it's weird to him, and he doesn't know how to do this stuff. And at times, Harry feels like he's just the worst wizard, but he's still a wizard, and nothing will change that. Like, nothing can change what Harry's parents did, like their sacrifice for him. Nothing can change the gift that Harry's parents have given him. Nothing and nobody can change that. Harry just has to keep believing it. Because can you, kids, can you imagine if Harry decided not to believe it, not to believe that he was a wizard and just stayed at home? Like he would have kept living as a slave the rest of his life, and it would have been the worst seven books ever. The good stuff is Harry believing he is a wizard and embracing the challenge of who he is. And y'all, kids, that's really what Paul, that Paul says, he doesn't say it's like that, but Paul, what we're going to learn is what Paul tells us about the Christian life in Romans 6 is kind of like that. Like the church comes to you with a letter, the letter of the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells you you are a Christian. And you start to discover what's true about you is you are not a slave. You are not a slave to sin. You are a new creation. And you have already defeated the big bad guy, the devil. You have already defeated sin. You have already defeated death. And you didn't do anything. This is who you are because of Jesus because Jesus did that for you. And because he has put his love and his grace and his power in you. And you have to keep learning about who you are in Jesus. And you have to practice who you are with Jesus. And becoming who you are, it's not natural. It's going to feel weird. It's not easy being a Christian. And at times, you are going to feel like you're just the worst Christian. But that does not change who you are. It doesn't change that you are a Christian because you can't change what Jesus has done for you, and you can't change what Jesus has already done in you on the cross. And you can't change what Jesus is doing in you right now by the power of his Holy Spirit. He has saved you. Nobody can change that. Nothing can change that. He has given you new life. He has given you this gift. He is at work in you, changing you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So kids, young ones, believe in Jesus.
This is who you are. This is what Paul is going to tell us in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him, uh, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For, since, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law but under grace. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So uh, the passage right before this one, it says that salvation is a says salvation is a free gift, and it says it five times in three verses. Paul is trying to make a point. It's free. It's free. Grace, grace, grace. It's all grace that we're made right with God through the work of Christ alone, not your work. All grace. No one could work. No one could be good enough to be saved. It's all grace. What do you need to be a Christian? All you need is need to come to God with empty hands so that you can receive Jesus and his salvation. We've said God has never saved a good person. We've said it doesn't matter what you have done. It just matters what one man, ha one man has done. That is true for all Christians. That objection, if you assure people in the church of their salvation just because they believe in Jesus, they're going to live however they want to live. And the answer to that objection is no. If you don't assure people of their salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then they'll live however they want to live. Paul's been going around for some time now saying this stuff, preaching the gospel that comes up here. It's all grace? Okay, verse 1. Then if God is glorified by saving sinners, even the worst of sinners, then why not keep on sinning to demonstrate God's grace? Like if we're all about, like if what we're all about is revealing God's glory, and God's glory is most clearly revealed in the gospel, then why not sin? Like why not live in sin so God can forgive more and more and more and more? Wouldn't that display more and more and more His grace and His glory? Because it seems like the God of the Old Testament hated sin, but Paul, you're saying that he's just about freely forgiving and accepting anyone with free grace. Like That's the objection. 
Paul, and Paul himself anticipates this. He's heard this. So he anticipates that, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's answer, emphatically, clearly, says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he's not, he's not saying that, you know, that tone, like you got to be good. Like Paul is not shaming here, like, I'm aghast. How can you? You should live an obedient life for him. No, he's saying now, you will live a godly life. You won't be able to help but live a godly life. As in, there is no such thing as a Christian who's not interested in living life for God. No such thing. It's a non sequitur. Because the objection is, should we just keep sinning to glorify God's grace? And Paul says, how is that even possible? And the good news is, and the good news for us here is, it's not possible. That's not possible for a Christian. It's not possible because the Christian has died with Christ and has been raised to new life with Christ. I mean, over and over in this passage, Paul says, you're dead. You're dead. Verse 3, you were baptized into his death. Verse 4, you were buried with him. Verse 5, you were united with him in his death. Our old, verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Verse 8, we have died with Christ. We like to you know, go back to that thing of like you were baptized into his death. We like to ask, our presbytery likes to ask seminary graduates who come to be examined for ordination. We, you know, we stand up, we, we put them through all these tests, and one question we like to ask is, hey, does baptism save you? What do you think? Would you, just in your head, how would you answer that question? Does baptism save you? <laughs> and, and then we'll ask them if they say, no, great, okay, explain that to us. If they say, well, yes, okay, great, explain that to us. Because it's not to be mean, it's not to be confusing, but we want to hear them distinguish between the sign of baptism and the thing signified in baptism. As in, like, baptism is a sign, right? That, that water stuff that we pour over the person. That ritual of pouring the water, administrating that thing, that doesn't save anyone. That's a sign. The thing it signifies, that does save a person. Because what baptism signifies is union with Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and his ascended glory. Baptism signifies the Christian is united to the person of Jesus and his work forever. So when Paul says, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we have been baptized into his death. He's talking, what he's, he's talking like Peter, like the apostle Peter, who says in one of his letters, yeah, baptism saves you. He's talking about the thing signified in baptism, union with Christ. So, when you became a Christian, your old self died. And that begs the question of like, okay, wait, you know, what is that? What does that mean? Like, verse 6, your old self was crucified. My old self, who was that? Just got to remember chapter 5, what we just read. Paul's, you know, he's building on what he's just said. And what Paul just said in Romans 5 was that there are two federal representatives 
for all mankind before God. Like, like you can stand before God with one or two representatives. Adam was the first federal representative, uh, representative of mankind before God, and he represented everybody, everybody who ever lived. And he represented everybody who ever lived, everybody who was descended from him. He represented them for good or for bad before God. And the bad news is Adam failed as our representative. And so we fail in Adam, and we justly deserve condemnation as failed sinners. And you don't like, you're not supposed to like that. that like, Adam, you know, come on. Like, yeah, that's appropriate. Uh, that's your old self, who you were in Adam. And Paul says that old self died when you became a Christian. Now you are the new self in Christ. Because Jesus is the other federal representative before God, and Jesus represents those who are united to him by faith, those who believe in him. Because you relate to God covenantally, and that's just how it works because that's how God made us, and that's how God relates to us. He sets the terms. You on, you, your only two options to stand before God are in Adam or in Jesus. Either Adam is your covenant head representative just by being born that's how he's your head because you're descended from adam or jesus is your covenant head representative before god simply by believing in him and if you say if you stand here and say you know what i'd rather just stand before god on my own okay yeah that is to stand before god in adam and what does it mean it, 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 just to be really clear in adam there's only condemnation in Jesus, there is salvation. What does it mean your old self died when you became a Christian? Verse 6, be brought to nothing. was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what he's saying is that old sinful nature that you were born with because you were born in Adam, that old sinful nature died on the cross because Christ overcame the penalty for sin and he overcame the power of sin. Like the dominion of sin, the rule of sin. How, how he says the body of sin on the cross. You no longer have a nature. That old self is dead. Your new nature, it is not ruled by sin. You have a new nature that wants to live for God. It's something like this. There is a show called Stranger Things. It's set in the 80s in small town Indiana where the government has opened a gate to an alternate evil dimension and it's about these young teens fighting this evil. It's 80s nostalgia. It's tons of Dungeons and Dragons motifs and it is sci-fi horror. Just, you know, to, to be it, very scary stuff, okay? Uh, in one season, in one season, the big bad threat is this monster called the Mind Flayer. It's this 50-story tall you know, uh, spider-like monster that's made of shadow and dust, and it can take over your mind, and it can take over your body, and it can make you a part of itself. It makes you its slave, and you walk in its power, and you serve its desires, and you now understand yourself as part of it, like you're part of this hive mind thing. Uh, and, and the mind flare... It wants to take over everything. It wants to have dominion over all. 
Uh, and the big bad bully of the high school in this small town, this guy named Billy, he gets taken over by the Mind Flayer. And he comes under its power, and he becomes the slave of the Mind Flayer. And he starts, you know, before he did bad things, now he's doing really, really, really terrible things. And at the end of the season, there's this big, uh, there's this big fight at Star, Starcourt Mall, and in service, in service to the monster Mind Flayer, Billy brings the heroine of the show, Eleven. Billy brings her and offers her up to the Mind Flayer. And, and as the Mind Flayer is about to take Eleven, uh, Eleven looks into Billy's dead eyes. And, and Eleven, like, like the Mind Flayer, Eleven has psychic powers. And so Eleven has been able to see into Billy's soul. And, and what she's seen is, she's seen this and she starts describing it to Billy. Seen him riding on the waves. And he, she's seen him smiling and laughing uh, uh, with his mom. And so Eleven says to Billy, she says, seven. The waves were seven feet high. And she wore a hat with a blue ribbon and a long dress with blue and red flowers and yellow sandals. And she was pretty. She was really, really pretty. And you were loved. And you were happy. And as Eleven is reminding Billy that he is loved, you see Billy's dead eyes and he begins to defend Eleven. Paul is saying, like, you are loved but does not win. It is not the ultimate power. You are loved by your Savior who willingly came to lay down his life for you to defeat the darkness that's around you and that's in you. Verse 14, and sin will not have dominion over you because Jesus has freed you from that dominion and you are Jesus's now. But when Paul says that we're no longer enslaved to sin, we're free from sin, we want to say, yeah, I don't feel like that. Like if I'm, de- if I'm delivered from the dominion of sin, why do I keep on sinning? This is really important. Paul is not talking about like an act of sin. He is speaking of sin as a power. He's speaking of sin as the curse, a cursed power in the old man as it were remember in your old self when you were in covenant with adam in adam in union with adam you were in sin you were under sin sin ruled you paul here is talking about sin as a power that controls you he's not talking about like a particular sin that you might commit because although you have been delivered from the penalty of sin and you've been delivered from the power of sin, like you were not yet delivered from the presence of sin. Like sin will still trouble you. It will still allure you. Sin will whisper in your ear, I am still your master. Obey. But it's a lie. And sin in the end will not win over you. You know, this thing of like what I feel That is not supposed to dictate reality to you. It is what you are called to believe. Who you are in Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem true as you look at yourself in the mirror, as you look at your life, but we walk in this life not by sight. We walk by faith. And this thing of sanctification that Paul is beginning to describe for us, sanctification, this thing of being freed from the dominion of sin 
we know this is true by faith, not looking at ourselves, but looking at Jesus with the eyes of faith. So verse 11, so you also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that just, we're going to continue to, to get to uh, explore this and go deep in this in the next few weeks, but it, it means there are no defeatist attitudes. That is not becoming of you. Like, this is just who I am. I have to give in to this. That is not who you are. I think Christians really do change little bit by bit. And you can't see, it's like watching plants grow. You can't sit there and watch it, you know, it, but it is happening. The reality is not how we feel or what we see. The reality is what we are to believe. You are now a new creation. John Owen, 17th century minister, he said this. He said the major difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is that the dominion of sin, it's broken in the life of the believer. But sin is still present in the life of the believer. So there are two basic problems for pastors. This is my problem. Two problems, okay? And this is your problem too. Uh, there are two basic problems for pastors. To convince those under sin's dominion that they really are under sin's dominion. And to convince those not under sin's dominion that they really are not under sin's dominion. That's it. It is not possible for a Christian to live in sin. It is not your master. That's a lie. Because our old self, the old sinful nature, it died with Christ. And because he has, we have been raised to new life with Christ. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Like Christ, this is. We're, we're going to talk about what's true of our resurrection life already and what's not yet true, what's still to come. But like Christ, this is what's true of your resurrection life right now. Like Christ, you were raised with that same power that raised him. The Father and the Son have sent the life-giving Spirit into Christians so that the life that Christ has right now, we share in it with him. So it's this thing of like, do we ever need to worry as if like, is Jesus in heaven right now being tempted to sin and resisting in sin as he did like his whole life on earth? Like, is Jesus still under the threat of suffering or death? Like the, how about it? Like the power, the power of this new life that comes from Jesus, like could something happen to Jesus now in heaven that could cut off his power in us? And Paul's like, no, 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 the life, the power, the salvation that we have now in Christ, it cannot be cut off. Nothing could do that. No one could do that. Verse 10 tells us that sin has no claim on Jesus. He died once for all to the penalty of sin. Sin has no dominion over Jesus. Sin cannot enslave Jesus. Sin cannot rule over Jesus. Sin can no longer touch Jesus with suffering or with death. No, he reigns immortal. He reigns as the king of glory, in unapproachable light and majesty, sovereign and just, merciful and good. That is who you are united to. And united to him, we are not under the dominion of sin and death. We are instruments of righteousness. We are free. We are alive to God 
in Christ Jesus forever. Believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, this full word of salvation, of not just what you have done for us, but what you have done in us. What you are at work doing in us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to believe. Help us to be sanctified by faith, just as we have been justified by faith. Lord, we pray that we would walk not by sight, but we would walk by faith. That we would believe our master is not sin. Our master is not death. Our master is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in him, we have life immortal, life never ending. Preserve us in that faith today and again tomorrow and the next day until you call us home or until you come back. And Lord, we do pray, come quickly. In Christ's name, amen.